Right now, I'm going to ask Pastor David to come up, and uh, you know, David is one of our awesome, uh, smartest pastors. I think he is the smartest pastor on staff. He's a professor at Gonzaga University. He's been a part of our church for over 30 years, and um, uh, I've had a chance to, to be David's friend for a long time. But uh, he works in a Catholic university, and he's got some traditions with Advent. And I said, why don't you just take the next four Sundays and light an Advent candle? Uh, please don't make fun of the fact that, that it's battery-operated, okay? That's, that's probably because Jim might burn something if I spilled the candles. But uh, uh, just kind of lead us through, for the first time, I think, as a church, we're going to talk a little bit about Advent and why it exists and, and why it's important. So, Pastor David... Yeah, please. Good morning. Uh, Advent is a traditional Christian practice that dates back to the early church. And it's a, it's a little confusing in one respect because it blends remembered expectation for the coming of Jesus in human form in the incarnation with anticipated exp exp expectation, sorry, for the return of Jesus at the end of time in the second coming. Thus, Advent links together a recreation of anticipation of the coming of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas as a baby uh, with the anticipation that the church now experiences as we're waiting for Jesus to return in power to restore all things together in God. Just as Israel looked back to God's great acts of deliverance in the Exodus and the building of, a, of his people in the Promised Land. And they looked forward to the coming of Messiah, God's promised Savior. So we as Christians now, we look back to God's great act of deliverance in sending the Messiah, but we look forward to his ultimate return at the end of time. That's a little confusing, but did we get that? So there's a looking back and a looking forward. Just as Israel looked back and looked forward, we look back and look forward now. So Advent is an in-between time. This is really kind of interesting and important about Advent. Advent is an in-between time, a time of waiting, preparation, repentance, and self-examination. In the four weeks before Christmas, we look back to what God has done, and we look forward in anticipation of what God will continue to do. Each of the four weeks of Advent before Christmas emphasizes a different theme. This is the first week of Advent, and as, as we'll hear in a moment, we're emphasizing hope and promise. On the second week, we emphasize preparation and waiting, the third week, joy and peace, and the fourth week, love and adoration. So here on the first week, as we light the first candle, we're emphasizing hope and promise. We find ourselves in a place of waiting and struggle and difficulty. That's, that's the life we live. We live in a world that is not fully governed by God's good power. But in that place, we trust in the promise of how God has acted in the past. This gives us hope that is not merely wishful thinking, 
but his great confidence that God will again act. As the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 9, verses 2 and then 6 and 7, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. The difficulty of our situation and the great power of God's acts of rescue lead us to call to God, why, why are we waiting, God? Let it happen now. Again, as the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 64, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. So as a result of his past acts and the constancy of God's love and promise, we confidently look forward to God coming in power to rescue and restore his people, to complete the work that he's already been doing. As Paul writes in Romans, this is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of of the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Let's pray. Father, on this first day of Advent, we pray with hope and trust in the great promises that you've given to us over generations, that you gave to your people Israel, and that as believers now, those promises become our promises and we're able to see and to thank you for what you've done. Lord, help us as we cry out, how long, how long? Uh, we anticipate the celebration of uh, the baby Jesus at Christmas, but we also, Lord, we look beyond that and we, and we ask, we beg, we plead for you, come, come, come in your fullness, Lord. Thank you for all the great things you've done. Help us to rest in you and, and to wait 
and, and capture that spirit of, of patience and, and yet yearning as we're in this Advent season. Help to quiet our hearts and to enable us to, uh, to think about the great promises that you've given us and the hope it provides us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, because hope is kind of our theme for the next um, three weeks as we kind of talk about Advent and think about uh, the, the, the Christmas season. Uh, you know, hope, of all people, you and I as followers of Christ should be people of hope. Uh, the Bible calls our God the God of hope. First uh, Timothy says Christ is our hope, that hope is a person, hope is Jesus. The scripture says that you and I should live in such a way that we set apart Jesus as Lord in our lives and always be ready to give an account for the hope that lies within you. In other words, people ought to look at your life and say, why are you so hopeful? What, what, what is different about you that you have hope? Because most people don't have hope. Hope is not, hope is always about the future, isn't it? You know, I mean, I hope that the Mariners will win the World Series before I die. Okay? We have, we have some things we're hoping right now. Our family is having a mice event in our house. And we've got sick kids, and I'm hoping these mice all die in the name of Jesus, okay? I'm sorry if that's a little inhumane to you, but uh, there are some things that are the result of the fall. I'm pretty sure snakes are one of them, and mice as well. Anyway, I, I digress. We always have things we hope for in the future, but we're talking about a bigger hope than just, you know, uh, the team you're rooting for winning a game or something like that. Hope is something we need in life, and I think when we think about the future in today's world, we have all this technology, and technology is getting better and better, but what else in the world is on an upward trajectory? Everything else seems to be declining. The church is declining. Christianity is declining. Our government isn't improving. I'm sorry if that offends you. I don't see health care getting better. It costs more and it takes longer to get, to get in. That's no offense to any of you who are in the profession. The people are amazing in the healthcare profession. Uh, isn't that right, Erica? Anyway, um, you know, uh, uh, wars, you know, Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Hamas, um, public education, that doesn't seem to be getting better. The economy, is that getting better? Unemployment, you know. Uh, people, are people getting nicer and better and more God? And by the way, you take this society and then as a country, can you turn me down just a touch? As a country, we've taken God out of our country. So we have a generation of young people that have more access to everything. They're seeing everything go down, 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 and you take God out of the equation and the young people are growing up without hope. And statistically, this is true. Tim shared this with me from the CDC's website. This is a government uh, website. You can look it up. The 10-year study on high school students in our nation. And right now, from 10 years, uh, 2011 to 2021, now 42% of all high school students experience persistent feelings of hopelessness. Persistent. That's four out of ten kids. 
and the number's even higher among females. 57% of females, that's 6 out of 10 young girls in high school, are constantly feeling hopeless. And this affects suicide. If you look down at the bottom, the numbers there on the right, the numbers that are contemplating suicide, attempted suicide, one out of 10 young people in the last year, according to the CDC's website, has attempted suicide. Again, the number is higher among girls. Wow. You say, Pastor, this doesn't sound very encouraging. Well, believe it or not, it was a world just like this one that we live in today that Jesus arrived 2,000 years ago. It was a world that was pretty dark and seemed pretty grim and didn't have a whole lot of hope. The Roman Empire was just getting started. They would rule for another hundreds and hundreds of years. The nation of Israel, God's chosen people, had, hadn't heard from God through his prophets. I mean, there was like a thousand years of God speaking to prophets and scriptures being read, written. And, and, and from the time of Malachi to the time of the birth of Jesus, about 400 years, God was silent. And I want to just, as we pick on this theme of hope, and we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 1, so you can go ahead and turn there. I want to ask you this question. What is it that you really hope for? What is your hope? Is your hope in retirement? Is your hope in, in government, the right person getting elected? Is your hope in, in um, you know, a new relationship, a new job? What, what is it that you're looking forward to that you really think is going to change? And what have you set your hope? We need a hope that goes beyond the grave. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. And one of the cool things uh, I love that David did today is he tied back to the past. And, and if, you, if you have a Bible, you probably know this already, but Matthew is the beginning of the New Testament. So this whole part right here is the Old Testament. By the way, old doesn't mean bad. Oh, that's the Old Testament. We don't care about that. We're a New Testament church. Can I tell you, all the Bible is God's Word, okay? All of the Bible speaks to one story, and it's the story of God's redeeming us. And there's one hero in the story, and his name is Jesus. That's right. Jesus is the hero. And by the way, 70%, 77% of your Bible is the Old Testament, and then Jesus shows up. Imagine going to see a two-hour movie, and the hero doesn't show up until an hour and 32 minutes into the movie. That's what the Bible is, okay? The hero is Jesus, but all through here, there are references to, hey, I'm going to send the hero. I'm going to send the hero. He's coming. He's coming, okay? And so we get to Matthew 1, and we're in the New Testament. And what I want to do this morning is go back and kind of look at the birth of Jesus in light of the whole Bible. Next week, we're going to focus on just the birth of Jesus. And every Christmas theme, what just happened? There we go. I'm back. Um, but one of the cool things I love to do is when you sum up the whole Bible, you can, you can look if you're here and you don't know it. Listen, you can sum it up in three short phrases that come from Genesis. In the beginning, God. That's how the Bible begins. In the beginning, God. God created. He created the world. He created people. People are created in the image of God. And uh, uh, we're, we're the shining glory of God's creation. I love this. Uh, because everything was good. Even, even there, there was no government. There was no taxes. I mean, it was, it was great. And yet, 
Um, what happens three chapters later, we see the serpent roll into the scene. Now the serpent comes in. This is the devil. Uh, Lucifer, fallen angel, comes inside. The serpent talks to Eve. Uh, she didn't know a line when she heard one, and she took the fruit, and Adam willfully ate of it. And now every human being on this earth has good and evil in them. And death exists in the world, and sin, and suffering, and evil, and corruption, and all these things. By the way, this helps explain why People who don't even know God or believe in God can be good because every person's created in God's image. And so there's a universal aspect where everybody has goodness in them. And why church people can be nasty. Because there's a universal aspect of sin that indwells in all of us, even in the church. Somebody say amen. <laughs> there's good and bad in everybody. And so now, all this evil exists. What's God going to do? Can you imagine God up there saying, whoa, I did not see this coming. <laughs> of course, he had a plan. And the plan began in Genesis 12, verse 1, where he called out a man named Abram, turned his name to Abraham, said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And these were God's people. This is the whole story right here of God revealing to his people his laws, his, his ways. They would disobey. They would, but he kept saying, I'm coming. I'm sending a Messiah. I want to give you hope. I want to give you hope. And so as we open up the Gospel of Matthew, we're at the very beginning of the New Testament. I love that Matthew begins by reading a genealogy from the Old Testament. And we're not going to read the whole thing, but it ties the birth of Jesus into all of the Old Testament. Let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 1 of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. That name sounds a little fishy. <laughs> Couldn't resist. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. And as we read on, we read the list of all the kings of Judah, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Uzziah, Jotham, Hezekiah, Josiah, as we get down. And, and the genealogy keeps going and going until we get to verse 16, and we're introduced to a guy named Jacob, who was the father of Joseph, the carpenter, not Jesus' biological father, but his stepfather. He was the husband of Mary by whom Jesus was born, called the Messiah. By the way, Luke has a genealogy that traces its lineage through Mary. Matthew's genealogy traces its lineage through Joseph because, of course, Jesus physically did not descend from Joseph. But then we get to chapter 1 and verse 17, and we're told this interesting thing, that from Abraham to David, there was 14 generations. And from David to the de deportation of Babylon, there was 14 generations. And from Babylon to the Messiah, there was 14 generations. Almost sounds like there was a plan. And then we read the Christmas story. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Mary had never been with anyone, and she was pregnant. 
And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away discreetly. What a godly man that he believed in his heart. He didn't believe her story when she said, I've never been with anyone. But he didn't want to disgrace her even though he had felt hurt. But he wanted to send her away discreetly. And when he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child that is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. And Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. God is salvation. God saves. This is the name you're going to give to him. And it is he who will set his people free from the Romans. Is that what it says? No, it is he who will save his people from their sins. You see, that's the reason Jesus came the first time. He came the first time to deal with sin. You remember after his resurrection, he's walking on the road to Damascus. Damascus. Thank you. That's the one. M-A-S. That's why I told you David's smart. Um, And and the guys are there and he says, uh, didn't you realize that Christ first had to come and suffer and die? The second time he comes without reference to sin. The first time he came as the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. The second time he comes as the lion of the tribe of Judah to establish his kingdom. So he's coming this first time to save his people from their sins. Verse 22, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, a virgin will be with child and shall bear a son. And call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Father, this morning I pray that the message of Christmas will bring us hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope. You know, hope is one of the big three. And what do you mean by that? Well, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. But hope never gets the press. Have you noticed that? Because faith, hope, and love, the greatest is love. We just got through preaching a whole month on faith. Do you know there's a faith chapter in the Bible? We're reading it this week, Hebrews 11 in our Bible reading plan. Do you know there's a love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13? Where's the hope chapter? Hope doesn't get the press. But hope is tied into faith. The Bible says faith is the assurance of things hoped for. See, we have faith in the truth of God's word, and that brings us real hope. I think David said something. It's not just some pie-in-the-sky hope. It's something we can count on. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 13 that the God of hope can fill you with all joy and peace. How? Through faith. In believing, when you believe God's promises, that God has said, this is going to happen, that you hang on to that, and it fills your heart. What does it say? That you can abound in hope. I want to give you three simple truths this morning that you and I need to believe. And I've already mentioned the first one. Here it is, that God had a plan. And here's the good news. He still does. If you really believe this truth, and as we see it unveiled in Scripture, that God had a plan to bring the Messiah, and he still has a plan in place that Jesus is coming back, that that can bring us hope. As I mentioned before, that all through this Old Testament, we see Israel suffering. We see Israel in darkness. We see them being oppressed by the ites. 
You know who the ites are? The Canaanites, the, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Philistites, the Egyptites, the Babylonianites. The people of Israel were just suffered and suffered and suffered, and yet they always had hope. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And God, through his word, kept giving them that promise. Do you know from the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned and the serpent was there, uh, God speaks to the serpent and he says to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 that the seed of this woman is going to crush your head. You're going to strike him on the heel, but he's going to crush your head. So one, the first promise is the Messiah is coming. He's going to be the seed of man. He's going to be a human being. And then Adam and Eve have about a million children because she lived to be 900 years old and she's called the mother of all living. And out of all those people that lived on the earth, God chooses one man, Abraham. Abraham becomes justified by faith. By the way, that's the way you and I are made right with God. We believe God and he reckons it to us as righteousness. And there's a time in Abraham's life after Isaac, uh, he offers up sac uh, sacrifice to Isaac, that God says to Abraham, you know what, Abraham, in your seed, all the world is going to be blessed. And so now the prophecy is that the Messiah will come not just from Adam and Eve, but specifically from Abraham. He'll be a Jew. Salvation is of the Jews. He'll come from the nation of Israel. And Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. Which one of those 12 sons would the Messiah come from? Well, as Jacob's on his deathbed, he speaks to, sorry about this, there we go. He speaks to Judah, uh, his son, and he says, the scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. That's a great name, by the way, Shiloh. It speaks of the Messiah. And he says, the Messiah is going to come from Judah. And, and again, I could keep going on and on. From Judah, we see uh, years later, hundreds of years later, a, a boy who uh, takes a sling and a stone, steps out on faith, defeats a giant, becomes a king, and God speaks to him and says, I'm going to establish your kingdom forever. Your kingdom will last forever. And so the Messiah is going to come. He's going to be a human. He's going to be a Jew. He's going to come from Judah. He's going to come from the house of David. And the promise keeps being made all through the Old Testament. Even the exact location of where the Messiah would be born. Do you remember the wise men? They showed up, a huge caravan, uh, disturbing all of Jerusalem. And, they, and, and they, the, the king says to his scribes, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they pull out Micah and they say, oh, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And they got it right. And you know how far Bethlehem away, was away from Jerusalem? It was like the Liberty Lake exit from Pines. Okay? You could walk there. It's five miles. There's no evidence that anybody went to go check out the Messiah. But the exact location was given for the arrival of the Messiah. The exact time was given for the arrival of the Messiah. Uh, Galatians 4, when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son. And my point is that all through the pain and suffering of the Old Testament, God had a plan. And that's the good news today is that God still has a plan. There's hope. It seems like the world is blowing up. It seems like things are getting worse and worse as we look around. And it seems like, man, you know, I, do you guys remember um, the, the song, I Heard the Bells uh, on Christmas Day? Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, um, American poet during the Civil War. And he wrote the words. He basically said, it doesn't look like there's going to ever be peace on earth. 
And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But then pealed the bells more loud and sweet. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That's the hope we have. We have God's word and we know that evil is going to be crushed. We're going to live in a world where there's a new heavens and a new earth and righteousness dwells. And God is going to, Jesus, did, can I just let you in on something? Jesus is coming back. I'm just saying. He is coming soon to a planet near you. John chapter 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. That's a promise. Jesus promised he's coming back. Now, do we know when? No. Does it seem like it's been a long time? Yeah. But we have hope. When Jesus was taken up into the clouds at the ascension in Acts chapter 1, the angels said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there gazing? Into the sky. This same Jesus who was taken up will come in like manner. He's coming back the same way he came. He left. 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul said, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then he goes on to say, Comfort one another with these words. Why? Because it's going to be hard. We're going to see it looks like evil's winning. And he says, no, we have hope because there is a plan. And God is not taking a long time because he's slow. The Bible tells us in Peter, God's taking a long time because he wants more people to be saved. That's why. That's the good news this morning. God had a plan, number two. God came near. I love this. That when we look at the Christmas story, you know, I, 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 this is uh, the 30th year I've been a pastor on Christmas and gotten the privilege of preaching on Christmas, and I just cannot get over the fact that God became a human being. I mean, just blow your mind away that God dwelt inside of this baby boy. Verse um, 23, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Isaiah prophesied this. Over 750 years before Jesus was born, Dead Sea Scrolls confirmed it, that one day there would be a virgin who would give birth to a child, and that child would be God. God became a human being and took on humanity forever. He didn't become an angel. He didn't become an animal. If he did, it would have been a dog. Definitely not a cat. And all the cat people are going to leave the church now. I'm sorry. Sorry, Stacy. I know you're a cat person. His name is Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And you know, here's the thing. Jesus came, and he lived, and he died, and he rose, and he ascended to heaven, and it seems like he's far away, but he said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm still with you. I'm still with you. Guys, 
That's a, that's a hope we have, that Christ is in us. The Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus. God is not far from you. This Christmas season, I want you to know as you're struggling, as you're going through the pain and sufferings of life, God isn't far away. He says, man, where's God? It feels like he's not here. God is not far from any one of us, Acts 17 says, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. He is nearer to you than the word in your mouth, the Bible says. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Last thing I want to talk about this morning is just simply how, and this is why I chose uh, Matthew chapter 1, that God um, redeemed brokenness, and he still does. God redeemed brokenness, and he still does. The whole reason Jesus came, according to verse 21, was to save people from their sins. Now, this has been the heart of God from the beginning, that he wanted to save us from our sins, forgive us from our sins, help us to overcome our sins. Now, I want you to look in the, in the genealogy. I don't know if you caught this when I read through it. Did you realize that there are four women listed in that genealogy that I just read? And they're not the women you would expect. It wasn't Abraham's wife, Sarah, or Isaac's wife, Rebecca, or Rachel, or Leah. The four women that are listed begin with Tamar. These are all women, by the way, who had no hope in the world, who were filled with pain, who had messy lives. Tamar, what do you remember about Tamar? Well, Tamar was uh, Judah's oldest son's wife, and then her husband died. And then his brother married without children. Then his brother married her, and then he died without children. So this poor Tamar has been widowed twice. She's gone through the pain and suffering of losing a husband twice. She has no children. Judah promises that, that he will give her another son, but after the first two died, he's thinking, this girl's bad news. I'm not going to give another one of my son to her because my sons keep dying. And so she dresses up like a prostitute, and Judah has relations with her, and that's how Perez is born, through a sinful act exchanging money. You think, well, God can't bless that. You're right, God doesn't bless that. But God is so amazing that he can take something evil and turn it to good. That's Tamar. Oh, and then the next one we have is Rahab. Rahab has a nickname. Just like Jim the pastor or Steve the accountant, she's called Rahab the... Oh, you've read the Bible, yeah. Twice in the Bible it says Rahab the harlot in the New Testament, in James, in Hebrew. That's her reputation forever. She was a prostitute that was not a Jew. She lived in a condemned city, Jericho. She was one of the ites, the Canaanites. And yet she becomes the mother of Boaz. And then Boaz marries a woman named Ruth. And Ruth, again, pain and suffering. She was a widow. She had no husband, no prospect of a husband. She's faithful to her mother-in-law. She's so poor. They have nothing to eat. She's gleaning in the field. And, and uh, she was a Moabitess. You say, well, what's the big deal about the Moabites? Well, the Moabites descended from Lot when his daughters got him drunk, okay? Again, not a good backstory with all these people. These are, these are not the who's who of righteous women that are on this list. And then you've got Bathsheba, who the first four letters of her name are appropriately named. 
because she used to bathe in places where the king could see from the roof and she committed adultery. Again, I'm not blaming her. I'm just saying she had pain in her life. Her husband was murdered. Her, her son, the first son, died. What are you, you say, Pastor, what are you saying? That life is messy. And these are the people that God has put forever in the Gospel of Matthew. No other women are listed out of all 42 of those men, just these four. I think there's a message there for us. And the message is that God came to save us in the midst of our brokenness. That's the hope that we have because this morning it seems like, uh, man, what's there to hope for? What's there to hope for? Jesus is coming back. How can I make it through this life? How can you make it through this life? You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You're not alone. Well, my life is so messy. God can redeem that. This is the hope we have. Afterwards, our prayer team is going to come up. Our worship team is going to come up. And I just want you to, again, to consider this, this Christmas season as we talk about hope today, as we talk about hope the next few weeks. Where is your hope ultimately placed?